0: Welcome back to Brooklands and this edition of The Track, I'm Steve Clark. And normally Steve would go on to introduce this edition of The Track, but I just wanted to pause to say uh, thank you to Steve for the past seven years as the main Brooklands members talks organiser, during which time he produced 140 events and raised around about £100,000 for the museum. And during that time he also brought to us John Surtees, Captain Eric Winkle Brown, Giacomo Agostini, and more recently John Watson, Henry Cole, Maria Costello. Some fantastic anniversary events, including a celebration of the 100th birthday of Donald Campbell and a special Sterling Moss tribute event back in September. Steve now hands over the reins to Harry Sherrard, who begins his reign with uh, an event with Tiffany Dell in January and Paddy Hopker joins us in February. Now to introduce this edition of the track we uh, head back to the last event of the museum's year which is Military Vehicle Day held in November, uh, a celebration of all things military and I visited the show and caught up with a few of the people there as they celebrated the 80th anniversary of the Willis Jeep and the final event of the year is usually the military vehicles day and that's where we are today it's a little bit cold there's a bit of rain in the air but that's uh, all the better for when they go out on the 4x4 course and do a bit of mud plugging over at Mercedes-Benz World. I'm just walking down a line of uh, Willis Jeeps and there must be about just a quick count of them about a 100 Jeeps here today Okay, we're wandering uh, down this enormous row of Jeeps and we found Alan Eade, And Hello, Alan. Hello, good morning. Hi there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Willis Jeep?
1: Willis Jeep, um, well, originally the Willis Jeep, um, but also you've got to consider the um, Bantam Jeep and the Ford Jeep um, because they've all been manufactured um, by the for the US Army. Um, the Willis Jeep is the sort of definitive model, uh, the Willys MB came out in 1941 um, developed by the Willys um, and um, they produced the bulk of the combat jeeps for the Second World War 1942 the Ford Motor Company were given the same contract um, because they needed so many um, Ford produced between 1942 and 45 about two and a half uh, tw- 250,000 uh, of the same model effectively so the Willys MB and the Ford GPW which are the, the two Jeeps uh, combat Jeeps um, over 600,000 produced before 1945 uh, Willys made the Jeep or various variations of the Jeep after the war um, they came out with civilian models for the farmers um, collectors, the, the CJ and the CJ3, the CJ2 um, so they produced the civilian versions of them um, later on um, the m48 Jeep which was similar had a one-piece windscreen um, quite different but that was then supplied to the US Army in the late 40s um, and then following on from the m48 um, the or m38 the um, m3a8 m38a1 which was uh, what looks like the, uh, a Wrangler Jeep, as we know it now, uh, rounded, um, and they were supplied from the no, sort of late 40s into the early 50s. So Willys made the Jeeps, variations of the Jeeps for a long time. Uh, Ford effectively stopped uh, years later. Vietnam War period, the Ford made the M151 Jeep, similar, lower, um, and there's not many of those around these days because uh, a lot were cut up. They were quite dangerous but um, the original jeeps were designed 1940 um, America prior to the war in Europe uh, 1939 um, had quite old military vehicles uh, they had light tanks and they realised although they were keeping out of it till the end of 1941 um, they realised the writing was on the wall and they needed to re-equip re- and um, the Bantam Motor Company came out with the dis- initial designs, and I think there's one might be even one or two here today. Um, and they were quite prototypes. Uh, Bantams built their um, their jeeps, and then Willys. So the three of them, Bantam, Willys, and Ford, both came out with prototype jeeps during 1940. And it wasn't until 1941 that the definitive style of jeep that everybody's familiar with and been appearing in films and westerns, well not westerns but war films ever since Uh, the definitive jeep was uh, designed in 1941 so that's what really we're commemorating but goes back to 1940. Um, They were built as a 4x4 um, combat vehicle effectively for command, officers um, and for a crew Of four GIs with equipment that for reconnaissance um, patrols and things like that of course over the during the course of the war they were designed redesigned for various things they converted them into ambulances they put half tracks on the back of some of them they pitted rail wheels on them and drove them on railway lines um, in occupied areas they um, yes, and they 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 served throughout the war. Every forces um, were supplied. Britain, Russia, um, and uh Canada to some extent, and um, yeah, all the forces, Allied forces in the war had them. Um, the Germans used them where they could find them, if they could find a one abandoned somewhere, they they put it into service. So occasionally you find old pictures of a one with painted grey with. German markings on them they loved them as well they had nothing that, 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 that was similar um, that was really as effective so that's the basic story of the Jeep it's um, a, a brilliant vehicle and, and there's thousands of them still around the world we've got lots in this country France has got lots of them America has got lots of them so uh, out of those 650,000 there's an awful lot still running around 80 years later
0: tell us a little bit about your own Jeep
1: well mine's a a ford 1944 ford gpw ford built um one of their factories um i've had it since 1993 uh, and the the previous owner was is the one the long uh, the owner of the vehicle alongside so we we tend to buy them within the the club or or the or the enthusiasts really um and i've had it since 93 and it's been around a lot we've done lord mayor's show we've done new year day shows we've done uh, an almost annual uh, trips to france we've got normandy uh, it's been to arnhem um, belgium um, yeah it's 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 traveled over those years as well and uh, we use it a lot this year and last year of course a little bit less than yeah than normal most most of us uh, have, have suffered with loss of shows and events but uh, but it's still still being used and still going well
0: so i guess when you buy these jeeps you don't know much about the history of where they've been the
1: difficulty is with the jeeps especially if they were american um the americans didn't keep good records of of their vehicles so all i know from this one prior to it coming into this country back probably back in the 60s 70s um, was that it was supplied post-war to the greek army um and it's still got markings, and it's still sand under underneath. So um, uh, that's the only history I know where it was before there during the war. I say from 40, August 44 onwards. Who knows?
0: No.
1: Um, but it's it's finished up in England, and uh, and we've been using them. But the only ones that sometimes have a history are the ones that were issued to the British Army, um, because like typical British stormmen. Um, you had to book it out and book it back in and and when they came back into, if they were still in this country and they weren't in a wreck in Germany or France um, then they were sort of booked in and then they would go to auctions and and from those auctions then they were re-registered on the the road so sometimes farmers and other people bought them post-war and they might even have the record of where it came from um, but that's about all. Mo- most of the American stuff, no. We, we all a lot, lot of people say this was the one that Clint Eastwood drove in the, in, in Kelly's Heroes, or John Wayne drove in this one. But uh, you, who knows? You never know. They could have done.
0: Okay, and you're president of a club that's one of the organising uh, clubs today, and that club is?
1: Yes, the Invicta Military Vehicle Preservation Society, or otherwise known as IMPS. <laughs> we, our club is. Uh, we actually celebrated our 40th anniversary um, we were formed in 1980 um, down in the space in the southeast Kent orientated um, but we've got membership all over the wo- country and all over the world now.
0: And as we walk around uh, the Brooklyn site there are lots of people in military uniform have come with the vehicles today and um, there are several little scenarios uh, where people have set up the vehicle at checkpoints Um, there's little armories so we're going to walk over and just uh, see if we can catch someone at one of these scenarios we're over by the Shell Pagoda which is in the paddock just to the side of the paddock at Brooklands and we've got a slightly more modern scenario here, so we can see if we can find someone to talk to.
2: Our group here was we'll it. We call ourselves the Royal Union Rifles. It's a representation, it's a mythical unit, but it's a representation of the British Army of the 70s and 80s. This reenactment we're doing today was we'll it is of Northern Ireland. Again in the 70s. All our kit is original. Was it the Land Rover's original for the time? And we've kept it as close as possible to the well, everything is right, correct on the thing. I've been pulled up for something today, but they're wrong. <laughs> so, so I know, and this is the everything I'm wearing is everything that I did wear when I was in the army and in Northern Ireland. I did two tours in Northern Ireland, one in '74, I think it was, and the other one was '76. So, and that's what we represent. We all normally. Do just the normal British Army of the 70s and 80s, anyway, at other shows. But we specialise here in doing a Northern Ireland setup because I feel it's quite handy to actually uh, communicate with people what Northern Ireland was like. Because people, it's a bit of a hot potato even today, and a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of the things. And it does seem to create a lot of interest here, especially amongst a lot of old soldiers. Like we've got this chap here now, who's the ex-army, and he's having a chat with us as well. We get a lot of people come and ask about things, especially the weapons, because all the weapons have changed from what they've got now, and all the super duper kit they've all got now. We didn't have super duper kit; <laughs> we had what we've got here. Yeah, I see. I see you are armed. Um, these are real weapons. Um, mine is an airsoft. Was it a, a reproduction? but the other one there is a brand is a real one on the thing the unfortunate thing is the real ones are really expensive deactivated ones about 2,000 pounds or so whereas even an airsoft now is about 800 pound a decent one on the thing um, I bought this quite a few years ago and it was about 300 I think um, but that is the basic thing we've got here we've got the flak jackets that we used to wear as well which have got steel plates in them and they are heavy
0: <laughs> so all these things are still fairly readily
2: available to We're buy talking about it no it's actually quite hard there's a few people actually re- doing reproductions of some of the kit but you see there's things like the jacket this jacket is an early jacket and it's actually got a lining in it well they didn't keep Putting the lining in them for very long, I think, with typical sort of savings and whatever. And with the proper combat trousers, I mean, we wear lightweight trousers, which is what we wore in Northern Ireland, basically because the weather was so inclement that you needed something that would dry out quickly. Um, the, the proper combat jackets that go with this jacket were also lined and. I had to actually buy a pair from America because I couldn't get them anywhere else. (laughs) But, But it does take a bit of searching to get stuff, you know, the right stuff on the
0: thing. I guess that's all part of the hobby, really, isn't it? Trying to find the things to fit in with your particular scenario. it it is and it's quite hard with some things it's like so much has
2: changed in the regular army that i mean like respirators we have difficulty with the respirators because of the straps being rubber and whatever on the thing they've perished over the years so you can't really find a lot of decent stuff of that period you know um but but it, you can if you search enough it, it takes a lot of searching that's the only thing I mean this gentleman was just talking to us about, about he's managed to get hold of a load of stuff and he knows some places that are doing reproduction stuff now which is what we might have to go to in the future if we can't get any more and if I keep putting on too much weight
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: coming over the headland at high speed
0: just a small part of the Brooklyn sequence by the band Big Big Train. The whole track is over 17 minutes long and can be found on their album The Second Brightest Star. We play that in tribute to the band's vocalist and multi-instrumentalist David Longdon, who sadly passed away in a tragic accident at home in November. Now, back to Military Vehicle Day. Okay, we're still in the paddock and we're on the other side of the paddock now and we've got another scenario. Um, we have soldiers. I'm not quite sure what the age of this one is so we're going to try and find the commanding officer. Okay, uh, we're with the commanding officer who is a regimental sergeant major, Paul Weaver. Hello, Paul.
3: Hello, nice to you. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your setup you've got here today? Right, today at Brooklands, um, our group, the 10th Battalion... Uh, the Essex Regiment. They were Kitchener volunteers, uh, all joined up in 1914 and served throughout uh, the First World War. We're here today just to talk to people about the First World War. Um, We have on display weapons and artifacts from the period Um, and basically we're just here to engage with the public.
0: So you've got a, a white tent here
3: with some weapons displayed. Are these original weapons? Everything that we show, obviously Uh, The Bell Tents are reproductions. Um, I've never come across an original one. Um, But all the artefacts that we have, the weapons, the grenades, um, the memorabilia, um, they're all original, yes. Um, Where do you find things like this? Um, I personally have been collecting since the late 1980s. and uh, Nowadays, you can look on eBay, but you go to military affairs. You get to know people who have collections, and when they want to get... Part with a certain item uh, you get in quick and get it before anyone else
0: yeah some are probably worth a fair bit.
3: they are yes um, obviously some of the items are quite rare and as people now know the value of things obviously they know that they can ask a price nine times out of ten they'll get it you know for example we have the only thing that's a copy here today is the Webley pistol that's a copy of an original mark six and the mark sixes which were introduced to the army in 1915 can go from anything between a thousand and fifteen hundred pounds so it's not something you'd have the cash for in your pocket on a given day
0: and these are all um, english weapons and weaponry here
3: we, we 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 portray, although we portray uh, the Essex Regiment, we do have items from uh, the German Army, also our allies at the time, the French as well. Um, so, yes, we, we do try to show both sides of the conflict.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I just see here a tin of um, bits of shrapnel, I guess, is it?
3: This is it, yeah. These are fragments of trench that were dug up on the Somme. This is actually from um, a shell that would have had shrapnel balls in it and it was a, a shrapnel shell and that would have been fired to explode above the soldiers heads and it's all different bits and pieces these are parts of a hand grenade that were recovered from the actual battlefield the Somme itself and before it was used it would have looked very similar like this to this obviously you can't see but um, take it from me it's the same item
0: and it's shown us a, a full-size hand grenade there um, with a little bit of it's a rusty bit of casing i think isn't it casing hmm. what would you say is the most interesting item that you have
3: here um i i actually prefer uh, the personal items although we haven't bought many of the personal items today um i'm always i'm always keen on the, on the rifles
0: and you've got a bicycle over there as well was
3: that a, an original no, um we have uh, a number of bicycles because um we like to go over to france to cycle on the somme Um, there's only a couple of members in the group who have originals as you can appreciate they're a little bit hard to track down so we use um, Raleigh's and Triumph's from the 1940s and 50s Um, we've had uh, bicycle racks reproduced from period ones that we had and uh, we paint them the original colours as well So they look the part but they're a little bit of a cheat (laughs) in
0: addition to the the cars and lorries and jeeps Um, we have a quite a large number of motorcycles here today and uh, in particular some rather small ones so we're going to try and find out about these okay and we found uh, kingsley here who's going to tell us a little bit about these i think they're mini motorbikes what are they kingsley
4: they're 1942 well bikes uh, excelsior well bikes um, made for the british airborne they fold down like the end one to be dropped uh, in a canister under a parachute for the British Airborne. Um, As you can see we got four of them here, they're all 1942, that one is undergoing restoration at the moment. So what were they used for? Primarily they were, the design was to to enable the the British Airborne troops to, to land, break these out of the containers. And then ride these from where they drop you obviously don't drop by parachute in amongst the enemy because you'll get shot so you get, you drop close as close as you dare if you like then you get on these or the bicycles and you then ride to where the fight is but by the time d-day came about in 44 these were really obsolete because they had the bigger aircraft that could carry jeeps which are far more practical than those so by the time d-day came about these were really obsolete lots of pictures of these being carried off the landing craft
0: they're they're fairly lightweight by the look of it
4: yeah yeah they are lightweight he can lift them no problem i struggle a bit at my age but what size engines have they got 98cc so no uh no gears just direct drive um got a clutch on the handlebars there and um that's it you bump start them and jump on and go and find the enemy and away you go what sort of speed can you go on about 30 miles an hour if you're brave or stupid
0: (laughs) i think they're probably brave
4: they they were brave yeah i'm probably stupid (laughs) so you
0: say they were dropped in a in a crate so quite a number in a crate
4: no they have uh, like a tube a drop canister that they go one you know one bike per canister these canisters they they might have rifles or clothing or food or whatever the the whale bikes were dropped in a canister under a parachute the bike at the end is a 1943 flying flea Um, that was dropped in a a cradle under a parachute those were more widely used because they were more practical as a as a motorcycle Um, they were used by dispatch riders and and the like Um, not really as as a fighting Um, motorcycle like these were designed to take an actual airborne soldier to the fight the flea was used for more sort of um sort of dispatch rider duties so what happened to these
0: once they got to the the battle area were they just abandoned
4: yep i mean because these are so hard to ride they were probably discarded if they were away before because they're noisy you can't ride them so they were probably not even picked up i would have said so it was um yeah but the idea of these is once you get to where the where the fight is happening you would then just get off these and you just dump them and that's that yeah yeah. i'd imagine they're quite hard to find these days extremely rare it's um uh, is you know we say how rare they are and yet we got four here it's four because Ian, my friend there bought the the end one from america about a year ago i bought my one from holland this one was a barn find. This is my son's one. So, um, Alfie, Alfie, how many How many of these are known in existence or something? About 200, something. 200 known survivors. You can get re- replicas or reproduction ones, but actual true survivors, it's a couple of hundred.
0: And do we know how many were made in the first place? Quite a lot, I should think.
4: No, no only about 4,000.
0: Brooklyn's news. Omicron has taken its toll at Brooklands and the fantastic New Year's Day meet uh, had to be cancelled. However, a new event has been put in place on the 16th of April along similar lines with uh, hundreds of classic cars. A couple of us here at Brooklands would like to wish the listeners of the track and at Brooklands Radio a happy new year and a great 2022.
2: Thanks for listening.